may we focus on Christ tonight. I but, uh, have but a moment, but I wish to draw our attention, please, to two passages. And I promise not to take your time too long, but I want to draw our attention initially to Revelation chapter number 7. Revelation chapter 7. And then we will jump from there to John chapter 4. To a familiar story I think all of us can recount by memory if we've been in church long. I would like to start by reading and then have a, a word of prayer. So chapter 7, verse number 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Notice verse 10. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Let us pray. Father, in this moment, may we take time to dive into your word and ask God that you would change our hearts to line up with your mission, with your heart, for the salvation of the nations. As we focus on missions tonight, may we not leave here the same, but have a mind of Christ, have a mind that God has for his love for all nations, tribes, tongues. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Worship is more than just a song sung. Worship is a life transformed by the gospel, lived in obedience to his Lord. It's not just a song, and yet, perhaps you'll excuse me, I took this out of the, the handbook there in the front. I couldn't but help notice a beautiful line from this song to highlight. Verse 2, it says, in Christ sufficient, nothing remains since Jesus has died. Justice was paid, the judge satisfied. And then in regards to the theme tonight that I briefly wish to speak about in John chapter 4 on living water, notice this theme in verse 3. Nothing I've sought on earth satisfies. You see that? Nothing. I was designed to thirst after Christ. Beckoned by him, drink and be filled. I am content, yet yearn for him still. In John chapter 4, where we will be this evening, we see the story, not just the story, but the historical account of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. By raise of hand, how many of you know this familiar story? And you probably could probably say it in my place even. <laughs> because of your familiarity with this text, I won't take the time to read it all then. I will rather jump to some important applications we can find in Jesus' ministry, in his love, and his evangelism, and his offering of living water. But for a few verses here to highlight, I would pick verse number seven initially. There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. A simple four-word request. Give me to drink, he asks this Samaritan woman. Notice verse eight, however, his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. So here is Jesus alone and a Samaritan woman coming to the well in which 
he was weary and needed a drink, sat down upon. In verse 9, notice the woman's response. Then, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, notice her shock. How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Listen, for the Jews, listen, we have no dealing. There's no dealings with the Samaritans. We don't mix Jews and Samaritans. Were you just born yesterday? You can get that impression, the shock. In verse 27, we can even see when the disciples later return their shock at Jesus' conversation with this woman. Notice they say, verse 27, noting the disciples, and upon this came the disciples, upon this meaning this conversation he had with this Samaritan woman. And what does it say? And marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou? Or why talkest with her? They didn't dare question Jesus, but there is a thought of shock, marveled, as the scripture calls it. But what was so unique about this conversation Jesus would have with this seeming fellow citizen, fellow human being, what we would compare today, like a, a water cooler conversation at work. Right here you are getting a drink of water and, hey, Bill, how was your weekend? Great. How about your week? Not bad. Why would there be this shock? Why would there be this amazement on part of the disciples and this woman? And if we know anything about our Bible history, we can understand there's a great animosity, there's a great enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans. As a brief summary, let me just say the Jews viewed the Samaritans as worse than dogs. And in some cases, if they were to be passed by the shadow of a Samaritan, they would need to go do purification to cleanse themselves of the Samaritan. I mean, they had a serious hatred towards the Samaritans. And a few reasons why I will list a few as a means of why it's so helpful to understand Jesus now talking to this woman. The bounds in which Jesus goes to offer this woman living water is amazing when you can understand the culture a little bit more. So they're not only enemies, but historically they fought. And religiously, they were divided because the Samaritans claimed the same God, yet the Jews and the Samaritans, they would not agree they worshiped the same God. Although the Samaritans, yeah, that's the same God, we worship him. But here's the fact. They only used the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. But they disregarded all of the historical writings, First and Second Chronicles and First and Samuel. And they disregarded the wisdom writings, the Psalms the, and, and, and the Proverbs. And they disregarded the prophets, largely about the Messiah. And notice what she says to this man, to this Jesus, not just a man, but God, the God-man, when he tells her, go call your five husbands, right? We know that happens later. He gets to the point. She's thinking of physical water, and he says, uh, let's get to the spiritual matter here. And he asks her in verse 16, go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast said well, or well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had how many husbands? Five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that, in that saidest thou truly. Notice her response now. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. I kind of find this humorous. I think you might be a prophet. How could you know that? Oh, that's pretty amazing. What other magic tricks do you have? Not, not in a matter of speaking, but rather she does ask another question along spiritual lines. She does know of the Messiah. That's the point I'm driving at. It says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Geographically, we can study that there is actually visibly a mountain 
Gerizim, in which the Samaritans worshipped in their own temples, separate from the Jews. And she's pointing visibly to Jesus in this spot, saying, what we learn is that we should worship here. Our father said to worship here. And ye say, being a Jew, that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Look at Jesus' response to this controversial religious issue of that day. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain, not Gerizim, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. This is mind-blowing because it's all that has ever been known of worshiping God. What does Jesus say? He's come to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, but to fulfill. And this is Jesus revealing this fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah. Ye worship, verse 22, ye know not what. We know, Jews know, we, what we worship for, we ha- for the salvation is of the Jews. But, verse 23, notice this, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, I love this, seeketh such to worship him. Jesus' mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. And not just the Jews no longer. Now he's reaching into divides culturally, religious divides in which we live in today, an enmity between fighting religion. I'm not asking for ecumenical gathering. No, what I'm saying is we cross the divide and say, Jesus is the answer to your thirsty soul. Jesus is what you really need, teenagers, young adults, those here present with us. Jesus is who satisfies the soul and Jesus alone. And the woman needed to understand this wonderful truth. As we think about worship, he mentions it even there. The Father seeking true worshipers with the implications of two matters, spirit and truth. My question for you is how is it that a Samaritan being outside as an, as, a, as an outsider of the Jewish nation, how is it that us as Gentiles, much of us, could enter into a relationship with God that the Jews had only known up to that point? We know the answer, don't we? By Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, the atonement Christ made for us on our behalf. To transform one who is wayward, one who is empty, one who is thirsting, now to one who is satisfied, rejoicing. Notice, if you would, her response in verse 25. The woman saith in him, I know that Messiah cometh. Does she know who she's talking to right now? She doesn't get it yet. Watch, though, it's beautiful, which is called Christ. Hey, that's my name, Jesus Christ. You think, what does he say? I love it. Here it goes. When he is come, he will tell us all things, she says. And Jesus saith to her, I that speak unto thee am he. And the truth is driven home to her soul. And, and revelation dawns upon her that this is the Christ, the Messiah. And notice her response in verse 27. I'm sorry, that's the disciples and their response. But following that, verse 28, the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to men, verse 29, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. And she says, as a rhetorical question, is this not the Christ? 
that we've been hearing about. She has been transformed to a worshiper now satisfied by the living water Jesus wants to offer those who will believe. She believes, and we find now Jesus now eating with the disciples for a short time. And they say, Jesus, eat, have some food. He says, guys, I have a greater truth to teach you. My meat, my food is not this food. My meat is to do the will of the Father. Look up, watch, look out now. Behold, the harvest is white, ready to be harvested. And may I just say, missions is a go. We can look out all across the world and say, people need the gospel. And even in our own Jerusalem, as one brother earlier pointed out, And I believe this church is doing that. But what's fascinating is that I believe there could be a connection between the Samaritan woman and now verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for for the saying of who? The woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So verse 40, what happens? So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. So what do we see here? The Samaritans coming to Jesus. And if the timing is perfect, I can't be dogmatic about this, but do you perhaps perceive that it's possible the white fields of harvest Jesus is referring to is rather the clothing of the white, because in that time we didn't have colorful clothing. That was expensive. The average Joe in that day would wear white primarily. Do you think it's perhaps possible that when Jesus says, look out in the harvest field, that it was the Samaritan crowds coming to see him that he was referring to? That's just a beautiful picture, isn't it? He says it's not just wheats and, and grain and corn that I'm talking about. The harvest is the people, the Samaritans, whom you call your enemies. And what's so beautiful about the gospel that I love to the uttermost is that the gospel breaks down all cultural differences, all animosity between races, and super, I mean, it transcends it to now offer salvation and where we all can be unified in Christ. And so the Taiwanese will be in heaven one day because of gospel efforts we're doing now. But as we see in Revelation 7, all nations, all tribes, they are worshiping, saying, worthy is the lamb. They have palm branches in their hand. And what is that signifying? The palm branches. Do we not recently celebrate Palm Sunday? Hosanna, Hosanna. What does it mean to, to say, Lord, save us? Lord, save us. And so it is a testament of the lamb saying, Lord, you saved us. And that is why we stand here. And I can't wait for the beautiful day when all nations, all tribes, all tongues are unified and we and, and all animosity, all difficulties, all struggles in heaven are be broken down because of the power of the gospel, the power of living water that satisfies. What a call for us now as modern day disciples to heed the words of Christ, to look out. What will be a result of our mission efforts today? In the future, what will be a result? And may I suggest this is a possible outcome, if not certain outcome. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. Jesus abode two days expounding upon these truths, and many more Samaritans believed. Amen? And so our prayer is, Lord, would you use us as a, just a simple, sinful, yes, we were sinners saved by grace. We are no one special. And yet here we are just beggars.
telling other beggars where to find bread. Thirsty ones who, who've now been satisfied with the living water, now showing them where to find their thirst satisfied. May, Lord, you use us, use me as just a Samaritan one who is an outcast, the one who's been downtrodden. But now I am going in the boldness of Christ, speaking, would you use me that way? Testifying of the Lord. Nothing special of Ben Murray, Natasha, our son. Nothing special of us, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. This is a charge to us, church, to be missionaries in our own in and out day of life. And I know this church loves missions and prays for missions. Would you join us in prayer as well for his kingdom and his glory?